Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where the events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. My name is Sean Keeley. This is the podcast segment of the show that is not broadcast on station KAOA. Our guest for the 385th show is Angie Weikert, Manager of Artifact Acquisitions and Assessing for the National Pearl Butt Museum, who is taking the time out of her busy schedule to discuss with us the National Pearl Butt Museum and Saving the Fairport Fish Hatchery. Our history buff for today's show is Rick Sweet. And Rick, you get to start off this segment. Thank you, John. Angie, uh, you mentioned uh, in the broadcast version the major impact the pearl button industry had on Muscatine and surrounding areas. When did the, the industry fade away and eventually just die? Uh, about the 1930s and 40s, ringer washing machines became popular, and it pretty much killed our pearl button industry. Pearl buttons will not go through a ringer washing machine. And so a lot of our industries started experimenting with plastics, and when plastics became popular, um, a lot of our factories could not afford to convert their pearl button machinery over to plastic production. So we went from 24 button factories in town or finishing factories down to seven, and then from those seven, they pretty much faded away um, until recently um, Weber Button Company and McKee Button Company, our last two major employers, uh, button, our major button employers here in town, um, just closed this past May. So we still have one remaining button company here in town, the J&K Button Company, but it's pretty much a one-man operation. And um, he's our, our last remaining button company. So that's what we're down to. Okay. Right, and, uh, yeah, go ahead, John. Right. I was going to say, uh, are, there any, are there forms of documentation by members of the community over the decades that really kind of, I'm talking more journal entries or things like that, that really kind of provide the history that how important this industry was to a community. I mean, uh, we've had previous guests on when they were talking about museums. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had a guest on about um, uh, one of the most exquisite and awesome houses in Bettendorf, and he talked about the documented history of how Bettendorf developed. Uh, does your museum have any kind of records like that of, you know, um, telling about the efforts or how much this part was a core of Muscatine? We do. Um, we have um, filing cabinets full. Um, I've actually just accessioned um, in documents that we had taken from a safe at the McKee Button Company, and we just um, emptied a safe at the Weber Button Company. And there are documents on top of documents that we're that I've just accessioned that actually document that. Um, different. Um, and a lot of them are journal entries, and some of them uh, some of them are irrelevant to you know what Muscatine was doing at that time, but a lot of journal entries. Um, we also have a book written by Jeff Copeland out of Cedar Rapids called Shell Games that talk about the, um, 
the button industry in the early 1900s, um, 1930s, 1940s, that talk about when the unions came to uh, Muscatine and tried to make things better in the button industry. And there's a lot of Muscatine history in that um, concerning the button industry. Um, there's been a, a few other books, and it's all, all the books are based on information that has either come from um, information from our Muscatine library or um, have come from the archives that we have here at the museum. So we have a lot of documentation on what, you know, what Muscatine was going through at that time during the, the whole button heyday. Okay. Um, Angie, I'm just curious, you're, uh, in our radio segment, you talked about um, kids playing in, in the buttons, and, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking to myself, wow, that sounds like fun. I like to play in buttons. Um, <laughs> so so I'm just wondering, uh, since I'm going to be coming in a couple of weeks, uh, what kinds of things can I see and do at your museum? Um, we actually give a tour. Um, the tour takes about a half an hour, 45 minutes. You're going to get overwhelmed <laughs> with information on the tour. Um, or you can, you can roam on your own. Um, we have an actual clamming boat. Um, we can show you. There are two uh, informational films. One is two minutes long. One is six minutes long. It gives you the, uh, an overview of the button industry and a clamming camp. Um, there's displays of machinery here from the button uh, companies that have gone out of business. Um, we have, the, of course, the ringer washing machine that actually caused the demise of the pearl button industry. We have a bin of buttons that we actually show, a, give you a demonstration of how to tell the difference between a pearl and a plastic button. Um, there are um, other um, exhibits here that show um, different kinds of buttons. Um, there's a lot of display boards, um, informational boards. We now have a, a film for the kids that show actual, um, actually how a baby muscle forms um, in the river. Um, there's also the displays in our upstairs. There's an interactive display for kids that, um, from our Kent Corporation um, that shows kind of the, the things that they supply here in town. And um, there's a lot of different um, things that you can see and do here at the museum. Rick. Yeah, Angie, uh, in the broadcast version, you talked about the um, the Fairport fish hatchery um, and your efforts. I know that in my previous conversations with you that the museum is is uh, involved in saving that uh, that hatchery. Thus, mm -hmm. what what is the shape of the hatchery and what what are you folks doing in Muscatine to save it? Right now, we're in the process of trying to get it uh, registered as a national historic site. Um, it's one of the oldest hatcheries in in Muscatine or in the the state. It was the very first hatchery here in the in the state, in fact, or west of the Mississippi. Um, it it does need help. Um, the infrastructure is old. Um, we tried to save a building on the property. It's the one of the um, one or two remaining buildings uh, from the original site that's left. Um, that building is pretty much been slated to be demolished. Um, we had it put on the 20 um, most endangered building lists in Iowa. Um, it is on that list now. I think it's number three on the list. Um, but they have deemed it too dangerous to save, and so that building is now coming down. But we did save it for a little while. Um, well, they're in the process now of putting some trails and some markers in out there. Um, and right now, the paperwork is being submitted to actually make it a National Historic Site. 
Um, and it, it will have kiosks. It will have um, some nature trails. It will have some things out there commemorating the involvement of that hatchery with the pearl button industry in Muscatine. So it's, it's, in, it's, it's in the process, and we're actually the ones that started that process, um, learning about this little pump house that we tried to save. And so um, hopefully um, going forward, um, it'll, be, it'll be another tourist attraction for people that come to see the museum that they can, it's one more stop on a, on a tourist attraction along the Great River Road that they'll be able to stop and, and learn a little bit more about the, the button industry and, and what kept Muscatine alive. Wish you luck. Hope you're successful. And John. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. Of course, we're talking about Muscatine, but um, I recall, wasn't, I mean, this uh, industry spread pretty far. A colleague of um, Jay's and mine who retired decades ago, his father, uh, because I remember I, I team taught with him in a class and he was talking about this. His father had a business in Andalusia that mm-hmm. was dealing with pearl buttons, and um, and he said that his when his father shut the business down, I mean it was like it killed Andalusia, which you know I mean Andalusia like other towns in that in the area need all the business they can. How many other communities were directly tied to the Muscatines pearl button business within um, uh, the bi-state area? There were a lot. Um, Andalusia actually had a blanking shop um, that employed a lot of people. Um, there were people in Andalusia, New Boston, um, Fort Madison, um, Burlington. Um, Grandview and Columbus Junction actually had blanking shops. Um, Rock Island. Um, so there were a lot of little communities around here that actually had blanking shops that hired a lot of people. And Clammers, um, there's a there's a we have documentation that there's a strip of the Mississippi River between Burlington and Keokuk. It was a hundred mile strip that had over a thousand clamors working that strip just for the pearl button industry. Now, if you had, um, if you were working in a factory back in the early 1900s, most of the time you brought home two to three dollars a week um, working in that factory to support your family. If you were a good clammer and you could bring in a good supply of clams and those um, shell buyers would come along and you had a good quality pile of clams, you could make $7 a week. So you were making double what you were making at a factory. So people were doing this. Even farmers, when they weren't in their fields, were going out and clamming and, and making um, blanks. So they, they were making a good living for this, for this button industry. Um, so a lot of these little towns, you know, button, little button shops and little button um, um, communities or little button factories along these little communities were popping up everywhere because they were making a good living. All right, Angie, I get the honor of the last question. So I was wondering if you could give us an address for your museum, um, hours of operation as we're coming into the fall here. Um, and uh, let us know if there's anything that you have um, special coming up in the near future that you'd uh, like our listeners to know about. Um, we're at 117 West 2nd Street in Muscatine. Um, we're located right behind the um, brand-new Merrill Hotel down on the riverfront. Um, we're open 10 to 4, Tuesdays through Saturdays. Um, we'll be open those hours until December 31st. Now, in January and February, we go to winter hours. We're only open on Fridays and Saturdays from 10 to 4. 
Um, we have a holiday open house coming up. I believe it's November 15th, which is on a Sunday, and we're open, I believe, 10 to 4 on those, hour, or those days, too, or on that day. Um, that's the only, I believe that's the only thing we have really coming up, um, nothing special um, else, you know, the rest of the time. Um, we are closed Thanksgiving and Christmas. Other than that... Um, just come by the museum. Um, hopefully you'll take a tour and learn something about buttons you didn't know. All right. We would like to thank our guest for this 385th show, Angie Weikert, Manager of Artifact Acquisitions and Accessioning for the National Pearl Button Museum. We've been talking about the National Pearl Button Museum and saving the Freeport Fish Hatchery. The history buffs for today's show were Rick Sweet. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALA HD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A Radio, all one word, in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at station K-A-L-A, St. Ambrose University.